Well, good morning and welcome to the Hudson Institute. Uh, we are a research, a research organization uh, primarily promoting American leadership for a secure, free, and prosperous future. And my name is Jeremy Hunt, and I'm a media fellow here at the Institute. And uh, today we're going to be discussing why health security strengthens national security. Um, I'm so honored uh, that we have with us the former Health and Human Services Secretary, Dr. Tom Price, with us. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Dr. Price. Thanks, and, Jeremy. Uh, what a what a joy it is to be with you. And thanks for your good work. I tell you, it uh, takes folks all across this great country to uh, to make good things happen. And you're part of that. There's no doubt. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And uh, I'll, I'll start by just kind of uh, sharing with the audience uh, your your amazing biography, which honestly, you need no introduction, uh, but we'll do it anyway. Uh, Dr. Price is a, an orthopedic surgeon uh, who most recently served as Secretary of Health and Human Services. He brought to the department a lifetime of service and a dedication to advancing the quality of healthcare in America, both as a physician and as a policymaker. Dr. Price received his bachelor and doctor of medicine degrees from the University of Michigan and completed his orthopedic surgery resi residency at Emory University. And after his training, Dr. Price, Dr. Price began, a, began a solo medical practice in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, which would eventually grow to be one of the largest non-academic orthopedic practices in the country, uh, which he led as chairman of the board. Eager to broaden the impact he could have on improving access to quality health care, Dr. Price went on to run for public office and was elected to four terms in the Georgia State Senate, uh, during which time he was chosen by his colleagues to serve as Senate Minority Whip and later as the first Republican Senate Majority Leader in the history of Georgia. Dr. Price then went on to serve as the U.S. Representative for Georgia's 6th Congressional District from 2005 to 2017, and I, I was particularly honored for that because he was my uh, uh, my representative and nominated me to the to West Point, so I, I owe a, a debt of gratitude to Dr. Price who we have with us. And uh, during his congressional career, Dr. Price went on to serve in, a, in various leadership roles, including Chairman of the House Budget Committee, uh, Committee Chairman of the House Republican Policy Committee and Chairman of the Republican Study Committee. And of course, in 2017, Dr. Price was confirmed as the 23rd HHS Secretary. Uh, now he currently serves as a board member on a number of entities and uh, works as an advisor on several others. So thank you again uh, for being here with us, Dr. Price. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate the opportunity once again. And this is, this is an incredibly important topic, uh, health security and national security. So I look forward to our conversation. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to open up just kind of talking about a recently released Senate report um, discussing these drug shortages that have increased by nearly 30 yeah. um, percent last year compared with the year prior in 2021. Um, the shortages include children's medications, antibiotics, ADHD treatments, anesthetics, uh, and even the, the sterile fluids used to keep uh, intravenous drug tubes clean. So mm -hmm. There are a lot of variety uh, of, of causes for the shortages, um, but one kind of prevailing issue that we kind of see over and over again is that 80 to 90 percent of certain medical products are made overseas. And so uh, especially in places like India and China, uh, which obviously leads to major concern. So I just wanted to kind of first ask you, you know, how, how do we allow our country to get to this place? You know, what has happened to, to lead us to be so dependent um, on, on foreign manufacturers for our drugs? Uh, and can you kind of just describe, you know, the kind of how this evolved over time? Yeah, no, great, incredibly important issue. Nothing can be more frustrating to folks the, than um, when their doctor tells them that they need something or their child needs something. Yeah. Um, and then you find that you can't get it. Uh, you can't, you can't, it's not that it's too expensive. It's that it's not available. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I just shudder to think 
about the frustration and the angst that occurs for folks when, uh, again, especially one of their kids needs something. So it, it's important to, to, to look at this, uh, uh, not just nibbling at the sides, but look at the real the real challenge. What's what's the cause of this? Um, and and when when things were great, uh, when when things were were moving, um, you know, uh, in in a, in a uh, an economic way that made it so that everybody had access to whatever they they, they needed, um, then we were all very excited. And drug prices were by and large coming down. Generics were doing doing well. The problem is is that what we did was we offshored virtually all of that supply chain. So all of the process of making those medications, making those pharmaceuticals that 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 so many of them help us so much was taken away from the United States. And one of the main reasons it was taken away is because it's cheaper. So we got to we got to talk about the core problem, right? The, the the core issue. It's cheaper to manufacture these things elsewhere. Um, and and so when when we talk about this issue, it's important not just to say, okay, we're not going to allow those pharmaceutical companies to charge the, the what they're charging. Um, we need to be able to say, look, we've got to look at the core problem. What's the root cause that's making it so that our medications are manufactured overseas? And when you have uh, either labor shortages or labor costs or regulation here in the United States uh, that is that is significantly greater than elsewhere, um, then uh, we see the cost for producing those medications, those pharmaceuticals in the United States get higher. And in a in a capitalist market, in a market where where price rules the day, folks are going to look at one medication and medication A and medication B, and one's made uh, uh, overseas, but it's a whole lot cheaper. Then they're going to say, "I'll go with the cheaper one," by and large. Um, and so that's one of the main reasons that 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 we have the challenge that that we do. And if we're going to address this challenge, we need to address the root cause problem, the why we're why we're in this situation and say either we're gonna pay more for our medications um, or we're gonna accept the lower price, but we're gonna make certain that they're as safe and effective and, and that we don't lose the ability in the supply chain to get the medication to our fellow citizens here in America. So a uh, big issue, big question, and, and really important to talk about. Do you believe there's work for Congress to do or even the president to do to ensure that we can keep those keep that supply chain more secure and to make sure that our costs are are still as um, as low as possible? Uh, do, you, do you see any kind of policy work to be done on, on that on that level? Yeah, there's a whole lot of education that needs to go on in the pharmaceutical arena because we get we there's always a boogeyman, right? There's always somebody that's that's that, that that's making this this uh, these medications cost too doggone much. And big pharma is is usually the fall guy, and that's all right. Sometimes they 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 ought to be the fall guy, uh, but the real challenge that we have in terms of pricing for medications in this country is that is that we have uh, we here in the United States by and large pay for uh, the research and development for pharmaceuticals for the entire world. Um, uh, pharmaceutical companies have done extremely well and in their innovative uh, um, uh, aspects, uh, the kinds of things that they're bringing to, to the market right now, the precision medicine, the individualized medicine, this is incredibly exciting stuff. And, and uh, much of it will be able to mitigate suffering or decrease diseases or, or even cure diseases that we thought never would be possible to be cured. That innovation is possible because of the reward that those pharmaceutical companies get for their investment. So they get a return on that, that investment. Now, why is it that we pay for more of it here in the United States than elsewhere? 
uh, I would suggest it, it's it's because of a trade practice that we have, not necessarily a, a a medical or a health practice that we have. So when a pharmaceutical company, a big pharmaceutical company here in the United States wants to sell one of its medications to another country, to citizens in another country, um, they go to that country and they say, we'd like to sell this, this little purple pill uh, because it cures XYZ. Um, and that country, uh, even developed countries, even very advanced developed countries, the, many of those countries will say, you're welcome to sell it here, but you can't charge more than X. You can't charge more than this price. And that price rarely covers any of the costs of the research and development. So that's, that makes it so that we here in the United States shoulder even more of the burden. So our trade representative ought to be able to say to that country, we're not going to allow our pharmaceutical companies to sell that medication to you unless you cover the part of the cost of that research and development. That makes it so that their drug costs are a little more expensive in those developed countries, lowers the cost for medications here in the United States, spreads the burden for the research and development for these innovative drugs that are so incredibly important. In terms of supply chain, um, we've got to make certain that we have uh, individuals from the FDA and from United States health services companies uh, be able to have their, their, their fingerprints on every aspect of the supply chain. So if it's made here in the United States, that's wonderful. However, if it's made elsewhere, we need to make certain that we know that those products that are being used in that supply chain are of the highest quality and that, that, the, that the drug is what, what you buy, what you purchase, what you take is what it says it is. And it is in the concentration that it's needed to be able to cure the the, the disease or the or the illness or the symptoms that you have. Amazing. So it, it seems that there's such an intersection here between even having better trade policy and, and, and all kind of intersects. And it's amazing how you can't just kind of uh, segregate the issue into one kind of discrete thing, but it really intersects into a lot of different practices that our that our country has to have going forward. And, it, and um, it, it, it really does. And so often we don't we don't we don't look for that root cause. Uh, right. Uh, we don't do the root cause analysis. We don't look for that main central uh, problem. And and you, in your history, the work that you've done, you know that unless you solve that root cause, unless you address that issue, you're never going to get to the right solution. That's right. That's right. And I want to talk. So for, for those at home, should we expect these drug shortages shortages to continue? Is this something that you think that just kind of got uh, was kind of exacerbated by the by COVID and everything? Or is this something um, what do you kind of see as, as what's going to be the future, you know, with, with this particular issue? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised in, in, in certain areas. Some of the raw product, the natural product, are, are there, there are some um, uh, decreases in supplies that you've got out there. And so whenever you have, have uh, uh, that kind of challenge in the supply chain, then you're going to have difficulties in, in, in getting the end product. Uh, but again, we can do a lot more uh, to, to ensure that it's safe, ensure that those supplies, that supply chain is going to be well served um, and, and, and make certain that we're able to provide the medications for our fellow citizens. Absolutely. And then kind of finally, um, when we think about national security, and, and obviously a big part of that is making sure that our population has the, you know, the, the medications that we need. Um, do, you, do you think there's there's ways that maybe we should kind of open up the conversation more that we have, uh, we have healthcare experts talking about prescription drugs with the same folks talking about our, our deeper national security concerns? I mean, how do we kind of nest those two issues uh, together? 
Yeah, when I was uh, in Congress and then at HHS, I, I always thought it was important to have um, interdepartmental communication. So um, different areas of the government, the Defense Department, State Department, Commerce Department, uh, um, all of those areas also have to communicate with each other, but also with, with the HHS. Uh, so when 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 we set a policy in place, when we want to make certain that that this supply chain works, that we're able to get uh, those pharmaceuticals, it's not just one individual that's in charge of that. It's an entire uh, executive level government that that is running these programs and running these systems. And unless they're communicating which, with each other, which oftentimes they aren't, you'd think that they would be, but oftentimes right. they aren't. Unless they're communicating with each other, then then we're destined to have more problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing on that. And I kind of want to shift gears a little bit uh, to talk about uh, the, the World Health Organization, kind of what's going on uh, at the international level. Um, recently, the, the World Health Assembly agreed in December 2021 to negotiate an inter international agreement aimed at coordinating pandem pandemic responses. Mm. And the WHO is aiming for a treaty by May 2024. That's their kind of goal date to, to roll this out. And But under the draft treaty, the United States would be obligated to hand over 20% of its medical supplies, including diagnostic tests, antiviral medications, and vaccines to the WHO for global distribution. Uh, and and our, Article 10 of the draft treaty even specifies this to be done in real time, I mean, even before American needs are met. Um, so what are what is your, you know, your take on these types of treaties and, and how, and doesn't this somewhat undermine American health security? Yeah, this this is an incredibly important topic, and and uh, and again, folks uh, kind of assume that there's a um, that there's a system in place that allows for the smooth progress of of uh, of, of whatever is necessary from a medication standpoint or a health standpoint, uh, especially for those in the developed world. Um, I, I had the privilege of, of serving as the 23rd Health and Human Services Secretary. In that role, I had the opportunity uh, to participate in uh, in the first G20 Health Summit uh, that had ever occurred uh, in 2017. Mm. Um, and and uh, this is the top 20 nations, and from a from a, a developed standpoint in the world, getting together and and sharing information about what it is that their health system, uh, where where they can help each other. Uh, where the voids are, where the communication needs to be when uh, when a, a major challenge worldwide happens. Um, and I was stunned that that the the first time that those countries had gotten together to talk about specifically about health and the health secretaries get together uh, and those in charge with these challenges, um, that that it was the first time that it ever occurred. Um, and 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 so, um, I, I think there can be a whole lot more work to be done to make certain that that kind of communication occurs. However, um, the first role of the United States government is to is to make certain that its citizens are cared for from a health standpoint. Um, and, and so seeding uh, any any uh, um, uh, information, seeding any knowledge, seeding any supply that 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 we in the United States have to other nations prior to taking care of our own population, just doesn't make any sense. Now that being said, it's imperative that we that we work uh, with all the countries on Earth because these 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 bugs that are go around they don't know any borders at all. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 so we've got to make certain that we work closely with other countries in in the world and develop those relationships so that we know that there's a trusting um, communication um, and 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 truthful uh, uh, information that's being shared. 
Uh, right now, I would suggest that we've got huge problems with China and, and, and the lack of transparency and the lack of information that China is willing to provide, not just to the United States, but to the world. Um, and the World Health Organization, uh, uh, again, I had the opportunity and privilege of attending one of the World Health Assemblies where the, where the nations of the world get together and discuss what needs to be done on so many different topics. Uh, but China hasn't been transparent and the World Health Organization hasn't been holding their feet to the fire in a way that's absolutely necessary and, and, and vital. Um, and, and, and so um, that communication, that process absolutely needs to be put in place. And it hasn't, uh, to my understanding, and, and, and from my perspective, hasn't done, been done in the way that it needs to be in order to make certain that the American people are protected. Absolutely. And, you know, on the topic of China, many people are saying that China is kind of manipulating the World Health Organization to kind of take even more control of kind of how these global pandemic responses roll out. Um, I mean, so do you believe that the United States are we continuing to take the lead in these organizations or are we seeing this kind of um, uh, this kind of rollback of some of our authority and an increase of what China's doing in some of these international uh, health organizations? Uh, in, in incredibly important um, uh, topic and, and, and issue because China is doing all it can to insert itself into yeah. other into other uh, nations um, in all sorts of ways, but especially in the area of, of healthcare. They're they're building hospitals elsewhere. They're giving resources to nations around the world uh, to to get on their good side, so that they can then from a geopolitical standpoint, have sway over those over those countries. And we're seeing very recently uh, countries that we never thought would be would be in the Chinese sphere moving in that direction. Part of that, I would suggest candidly, is because the United States has withdrawn some in the world community. Um, it, 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 this, there's a nationalist fervor in some areas that makes it so you, you just want to say, we just need to take care of our own. Uh, and that's true. But in the area of health and the area of disease, it's difficult and, and maybe impossible to take care of your own unless you're engaging in a, in, in a worldwide uh, arena um, and, and, and national scope, international scope. Um, so we've got to be out there. We've got to be leading the way. We've got to be leading the charge. We've got to be calling to account those nations, China and others, uh, that aren't being uh, transparent, that aren't assisting in that, in that world communication that has to occur for our citizens and their citizens uh, to be helpful. Absolutely. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the thing, one of the kind of key tenets even here at, at Hudson is exactly what you're saying about promoting American leadership and, and, and taking a, um, a, you know, a senior role into making sure that, uh, that our country is safe. And that, as you said, bugs, no, no boundaries. Um, yeah. And I wanted to talk to just to hear some of your personal examples, because I, I think you had just so many experiences of, of, of being in other countries. And, and when, when the United States leads, uh, many times we're able to kind of get, uh, as, we, as we call in the military, get to the left of the bang, meaning we're able to kind of get in front of the problem before it becomes, okay. before it kind of metastasizes and become even, even, even a worse issue. Um, so I kind of want to hear some of those personal examples you might have in your time of, of when America takes leadership, you know, how we end up uh, better off. Yeah, let, let, let me uh, uh, use an example that I that I had a personal engagement in. I had the opportunity to go to Liberia in 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 Africa and visit with uh, with their health uh, ministers and 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 their health system. Um, that that is uh, uh, to to call it a system is 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 really being generous. Um, they're doing all that they can 
but the nature of their country, the nature of the back uh, uh, bush area, the nature of, of, of the system that they have makes it so they don't have the kind of resources or the kind of support to be able to do what they need to do. And this came to the fore uh, during the, the Ebola crisis um, in, in the middle of the last decade. Um, and, and that crisis, as folks will remember, this is a very virulent disease, a disease that can, if, if, if left to its own um, uh, uh, devices, uh, tends to have a mortality of at least 50% and sometimes more than that. I mean, that means half of the individuals that, that contract the disease die um, very, very dangerous. And this, this could have spun out of control um, and, and, and gone not just uh, uh, in the adjacent countries, but literally worldwide and threatened America and, and, our, and, and our citizens. Uh, folks will remember the response that, that, that we had. And, and in our vision, our, the response was seeing um, uh, doctors or nurses who were um, from America who were treating patients over there coming back and being seen in isolation. So you saw the news clips of people in, 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 in uh, hazmat gear, basically right. transporting them to isolation units in hospitals to be treated here. There was even a discussion about whether or not we ought to allow our own citizens who were infected to come back here, which I found very, very peculiar. But in any event, the reason that that challenge to the world was as limited as it was, and it was a huge crisis in, in, in Liberia, in that area of, of Africa, but the reason that it was less than it, than it otherwise would have been was solely because of United States response, of the United States support through the, through the CDC, through the NIH, through the FDA, people on the ground, Americans on the ground in Liberia, assisting Liberians to be able to stand up a system that would allow for uh, the appropriate isolation, the appropriate care and treatment of, of, of those. You know, it so overwhelmed the Liberian government and the Liberian health system that the only two places where people in Liberia, when they contracted the disease at, at uh, the, the, the middle to toward the end of, of the disease process was in a good Samaritan hospital, Samaritan's Purse Hospital, um, which was a, a, a volunteer uh, uh, entity there just doing good work for, for people, and the United States military, who set up a hospital basically at the airport in, in, in Liberia. Um, and that was the reason that it was able to be contained as much as it was. In that process, uh, we were able to assist in helping a surveillance system um, become available uh, uh, by Liberians, teaching them what needed to be done. And three or four years later, uh, the Liberians themselves were able to detect and identify encephalitis disease strain and stop it in their country before it went elsewhere. So that kind of education process, the things that that, that American people don't see that we're doing, uh, Americans are doing, the United States is doing, and so incredibly important to do, because who knows what would have happened to that encephalitis outbreak if if the 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 assistance that the United States brought to Liberia hadn't been put in place two, three, four years uh, before. That's the kind of help that's necessary. And that's the kind of help that's going to be needed in order for us to continue to be a leader on the world stage. Amazing. And, and it also seems that that would be significantly lower cost than than the cost that would incur if, you know, if we had let if we had just let the outbreak get out of control you know, and it just it got all over the world. I mean, uh, so it seems that it would be lower cost just to, you know, to build hospitals and help train them. Without a doubt. A absolutely. And it just makes sense. Um, and I know there are folks out there that just that, that, that they want to uh, uh, restrict travel. They want to put up, the, you know, put up the borders and, and, and make them so they're impenetrable. Uh, again, the, the, the problem with health and disease 
is that there isn't any way to contain that. You got to be smart. You got to make certain that you're that you're screening folks, that you're doing the right things, that you're taking the the right processes and procedures where people are being screened, potentially in in the, in the 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 city elsewhere before they in another country before they come to the United States. All those things are important. You're absolutely correct. However, it's imperative that we engage on the ground in these other countries, and we have for decades. Um, and we must continue to do so, again, if we're going to be seen as a leader in the world from a health standpoint. Interesting. So it seems as though, from your perspective, it's not enough just to put up our borders and screen. We have to get ahead of it. So it's, it seems like it's, it's kind of a both and approach. Is that is that a fair way of characterizing yeah. it? Without a doubt, without a doubt. And if we don't do it, there's a huge void. And either that void gets filled by somebody else who doesn't necessarily have the kind of, of generosity and, uh, and, and, and a helpful spirit uh, that the United States does, uh, or it's not going to be filled. And both of those are bad outcomes, because if it's not going to be filled, that means the world gets more dangerous from a health standpoint, but from a national security standpoint as well. If it gets filled by some other actors, uh, China and, and, and others who don't necessarily have the kind of altruism that I would suggest the United States has in many, many different areas, and certainly in, in healthcare, um, then that decreases the, the ability of the United States to lead in areas where it must lead if the world's to be uh, safer and more healthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, by the way, I actually got a chance to uh, deploy to Liberia. Uh, I was just a cadet at the time at West Point, but we were right. able to kind of attach ourselves to the Marine Corps that was there. Um, and that was literally the summer right before the outbreak. And already there, China, the Chinese military was there training up the Liberian military. Uh, the, you know, the China was building roads and different infrastructure uh, and literally stripping their country, uh, stripping Liberia of all sorts of resources. I mean, right. they were building these roads and then taking, stealing their rubber, you know, from Liberia and, and using those roads to get it exported right out of their country. Uh, and, and so it's just, it's amazing how China is is continuing to be on the move, They're continuing on their kind of multi generational effort to supplant the United States as 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 you know an international leader. And so it's it is uh, it's a dangerous time we live in, and we certainly yeah, can't. without a doubt. And, and you you saw firsthand um, exactly what what happens on the ground. And there's this sense about some from some in America that there's a moral equivalence between the activity that the United States does overseas. And the activity that China is doing overseas, that it really doesn't make any difference which one prevails in certain in, in, in certain areas. Um, I would suggest that that's absolutely the wrong position to take, um, because, uh, as I mentioned, there's an altruism on the part of, of, of America, on the United States. And that's not to say that we don't benefit from from uh, uh, being in these countries because we do. But right. but but what we don't do is is uh, as you say st strip the resources from these other countries in ways that leaves them less likely to be able to succeed or and from a health standpoint to be able to care for their own citizens. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and on the topic of of, of China, I want to also discuss. Um, you know, we, we, we would we would be remiss if we didn't discuss the, the COVID nineteen uh, or Origin Act of twenty twenty three declassifying uh the the documents uh relating to how you know how the the how COVID-19 was was uh released to the world and we know now um it was released from leaked from a lab in, in, in Wuhan China um do you mind kind of talking us through um you know how this all kind of uh developed over time and and, and the kind of importance of of getting this information out to the public yeah uh th th this again is an incredibly important topic I, I wrote an article 
in March of 2020, this is right after COVID broke, and I wrote an article entitled The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And the ugly part of COVID uh, was, uh, from my perspective at that time, that it emanated from China, and we knew that it was highly unlikely that China was going to be transparent about the information that they had uh, about the source of all of this. Uh, folks say, well, you know, we're three, four years into this. It doesn't make any difference anymore. Why do we want to know where it came from, whether it's from the 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 wet the uh, the the uh, the wet lab or whether it's from the laboratory itself, the wet market or whether it's from the laboratory uh, or something else? Why does it make a difference? Well, it makes a difference because from a health standpoint, from a disease standpoint, from a public health standpoint, unless you know the why things occur, you are much less likely to be able to prevent them in the future. So, we, we, we work overtime to try to figure out what the root causes are, what causes cancer, what causes heart disease, what causes diabetes, uh, what causes any disease process so that we can attack the root cause and decrease the likelihood of you or me or anybody else getting that disease. Um, if we don't know the root cause, if we don't know where all this started, then it is highly unlikely that we're gonna be able to benefit uh, from information, from an education process, and appreciate why the the first major pandemic in nearly 100 years occurred and what to do about it so that we can make certain that that the, our response from a, from a world standpoint, but yes, from a U.S. health, public health standpoint, is better the next time than it was uh, the, the, this past time. So that's why it's important. Now, China uh, continues to obstruct uh, and, and, and to to be opaque about that that kind of information that's readily available. They know where it came from. I promise you, they know where it came from. Uh, the problem is, is they're not sharing it or they believe that if they're, they're transparent and honest about where it came from, that that would demonstrate either some weakness or, or some defect in, in, in their systems um, and, they're, they, and they're not interested in sharing that with, with the world. But that's one of the roles of the World Health Organization and the World Health Organization and, and countries of the world need to hold China's feet to the fire to be accountable for not, not to put blame somewhere, but to be accountable for the information because there are bright scientists, bright public health folks all around the world, and they need that information in order to be able to re respond to the next outbreak because it's not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. And we want to make certain that when it happens, that we in the United States and folks around the world are able to respond to a greater, greater and more effective degree so we don't have the kinds of, of, of deaths and illnesses um, and sequelae uh, from, from the disease COVID that, we've, that, that we have currently experienced. And, and what, what can we do? I mean, you know, China is going to continue to be irresponsible and, 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 you know, and, and continue to put the world at danger. I mean, how do we, do we have any kind of, uh, are there any things that we can do here in, here in the United States to make sure we are at least better protected and, and, and less vulnerable to these types of, um, you know, horrible uh, atrocities happening in the future? Yeah, I, you know, so much of this is diplomacy. It's, uh, it, it's education, it's communication, it's developing the relationships. Um, there, there, there have been times during the uh, during the the Cold War of of, uh, of late, um, and and during times when when nations were not necessarily seeing eye to eye, uh, but where uh, there still was communication. I'll use the space program as an example. Um, here, Russia is 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 doing terrible things in Ukraine and 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 in the world, um, and yet 
we are still cooperating with them from a space standpoint so that our astronauts and their cosmonauts are able to, to, to be safe in, in the activities that they're doing and in the studies and the experiments that are, that are being done to advance uh, knowledge in, in, in the world. Um, one, one would hope uh, and pray uh, that the kind of information that needs to be exchanged from a public health standpoint continues and, and is exchanged in a way even between adversaries. Uh, because at the core of all of this, this is about taking care of every individual in the world. And that doesn't mean that's our responsibility to do so, but it's our responsibility to set in place a system that shares that kind of information so that the wisest decisions can be made. And, and uh, uh, so developing those relationships from a diplomatic standpoint, educating the American people about how important it is to make certain that we have those relationships, that we can't just put up a wall. We can't just say, no, we don't, we don't, we don't want to communicate with folks. Uh, let them do their, their thing. We'll do our thing. Um, in, in the area of health, uh, that, that doesn't work, especially in the area of infectious disease. So uh, that's why these things are so incredibly important from a health security and national security standpoint. Are there any tools, you talked about some accountability and holding China's feet to the fire for what's happened in the past as well. Are there any tools that we could use to, to actually do that? Is there any way to, you know, to actually get some level of accountability here? Well, you've got to, you've got to use, uh, again, our, our relationships around the world. We've got to continue to engage and engage more around the world so that we have greater support for the kinds of, of, uh, of diplomatic activities that need to occur, whether it's at the World Health Organization, whether it's at the UN, whether it's in, in bilateral uh, uh, agreements that, that, that we make with other countries, whether it's in multilateral agreements that, that, that are made, what kind of pressure can be brought to bear in the world community. Um, nations respond when there when there is a, a, a unified effort that they see from other countries in 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 the world um, and and we can't guarantee uh, that they're going to do the right thing but we can certainly put in place the processes and the systems and the relationships and the entities uh, the agreements in place to be able to make it so that it's more likely that they're going to cooperate and, and and respond then less likely. We're in a very dangerous situation right now in 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 the world and you see this China Russia axis that's uh, that's being exploited by each of those countries in 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 different ways. If that's allowed to continue uh, unchecked um, uh, then from a diplomatic standpoint um, then then things in the world from a health standpoint yes but also from from a security standpoint national security standpoint will only get less secure and less stable uh than more and and uh so i you, you just have to continue to engage you can't withdraw from the world community absolutely um kind of as we, as we wrap up here i wanted to kind of hear your general thoughts on how do we restore trust into and 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 with with um especially in, in our after in the wake of COVID and everything that's happened, there is a tremendous amount of distrust to yeah. the just the health community, the science community, just with everything that's happened. Um, you know, what are the ways you know to kind of repair that? How do we get more transparency, uh, even here in the United States, in, in the way that we do things? Um, because you know, I, I I share a lot of the same sentiments of you know, there's a lot of concern out there. You know, who who's actually calling the shots? What's right. going on here? Um, and do and our American interests? You know, are, are those being what's most important in the, in the question here? Yeah. The, this is this is a, um, a really a shame. Um, I'm, I'm very sad about what's happened because of COVID. There have been so many casualties um, and the deaths that have occurred and the the, the sequelae from diseases that have occurred. What we've seen happen in our in our kids 
uh, um, in with with the lockdown that occurred and 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 their education and their ability to realize their dreams, um, uh, the 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 ignoring basically of other diseases that happened. All of these are casualties of 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 COVID. One of the casualties also uh, is is the lack of of confidence and trust in our public health system. Um, and 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 our public health system is incredibly important. Uh, if we don't have confidence, if American citizens don't have confidence that the that the physicians and the scientists in their public health system are telling them the truth and recommending things based upon their best information and knowledge at the time, not based upon politics, whether it's right or left, doesn't make any difference, but not based upon on politics. Um, then we as a nation are less secure from a health standpoint, and we are more likely as citizens to make unwise decisions as opposed to wise decisions. Uh, so how do we restore that trust? One, we've got to be upfront and honest about what happened. Um, and we've, I, I believe it's incredibly important to do this in a bipartisan way. We've got to have folks from both sides of the aisle and, and, and across the ideological spectrum to come together um, and, and whether that's a white paper, whether that's a study, whether that's a, I mean, the, the, the Hudson Institute does so many important things. Uh, one of the things that, that, that could be helped is to, is to, is to uh, reignite the effort to try to make certain that people appreciate what happened. We've got, we've got to have some of our public health officials to, to, and, and policymakers to stand up and say, we made major mistakes in, in how we communicated COVID and, and the challenges that we had to our nation. Um, and, 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 and there needs to be a unified voice about, about what that means and what that meant, as opposed to just squawking and fighting about, okay, what mistakes were made and who made them and, and place blame. We don't need to be placing blame. We need to look at this as, as uh, an, an FAA model. Um, you know, when we have, when there's a, when there's a plane crash, uh, we, we tend to work diligently to try not to place blame. We want to find out what happened so that it doesn't happen again. That's the kind of mindset that we need to look at this. And then you've got to make certain that the public health officials, those at the CDC, those at NIH, those in the, in the federal government and state governments communicate actively with the citizens of their states and of, of this country about what it is that they believe needed to be done and how they're going to do that differently going forward and how they will do it differently going forward from all disease standpoint, not just, not just COVID, not just an infectious disease. So that you begin to have that relationship rebuilt, because uh, the American people right now, if you ask them whether they trust the CDC or whether they trust the NIH, um, oftentimes you'll get a response that says no. Um, and we've got to respect individual rights. We've got to re respect individuals who say that's not the kind of treatment that I want or that's not what I want to do. Uh, and, but you've got to make certain that you provide the essential information that's necessary for people to make the wisest decisions for the, themselves and 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 for their families. Um, if we don't do that going forward, then we actually take a step back in terms of our knowledge from a scientific standpoint and a health standpoint. I think we're, I think we're, that's one of the results from what we're seeing right now is that our, our, uh, our life expectancy in this country is actually decreasing, has decreased for the last three or four years. That's the first time ever in the history of this country that we've seen a life expectancy decrease. All sorts of reasons for that, but one of them is, I believe, uh, the lack of trust that has been generated in our public health system because of how we responded as a nation to COVID. Wow. Wow. 
Well, just thank you so much. I mean, it is, it is very kind of a, a sober reminder of just the importance of really can get, getting to the truth, getting accountability and, and educating the public and, and understanding these issues deeper. Uh, so I just want to thank you for Dr. Price for being here with us and thank sharing you. your insights with us. We really appreciate it. And, and for those watching at home, you can please uh, stay up to date with us. You can go to Hudson.org and check out uh, all of our uh, new events coming up and just stay engaged with us. We really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us. Have a great night. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Take care. God bless.